I know it's a hypothetical and there's a long way to go, but what if Jordan Love is good? Like, good, good. What does that mean for the Packers just this season? Forget long-term, forget everything that they could be in the future. What does that mean just this year right now with the team they have? Plus, who benefits the most when the pads come on today at Packers training camp? All that on today's show. Caught by Watson. You are locked on Packers. He's got great speed. Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Christian Watson down the sideline. Locked on podcast network. And he will score. Your team every day. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for The Leap, a newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Thanks to everyone who makes Locked On Packers their first listen every day. We hope you like starting your day with us as much as we like starting our day with you. I mentioned last week, everydayers will remember this, that I don't want to ride the training camp roller coaster. I just don't want to live and die with the highs and lows of camp. I don't want to be worried, oh, we haven't heard so-and-so's name for a little while. Because just when you say that, boom, you'll get a play like that. And and Lucas Van Ness was one of those guys. I'm getting DMs on Twitter like, well, well, what are you hearing? Why, why haven't we heard many things about Lucas Van Ness? And then all of a sudden, he's running with the ones, making big plays. We're going to talk about LVN coming up later in the show. But after a couple impressive practices from Jordan Love, I started thinking, okay, and this was a point that um, was in uh, something we talked about a couple uh, months ago now, probably. Um, Frank Schwab in his uh, piece for Yahoo talked about this. Well, what if Jordan Love is just good? And I asked our pal Jacob Westendorf about the practice. I believe it was on Saturday. Maybe it was Friday. Either way. And it was one where Love made a slew of impressive throws. There was the one to Samori Toure down the left sideline in the two minute. And I said, you know, how many games do they win if he plays like that? Might've even been Jake Morley in our group chat was, was the one who actually prompted the question. Shout out to those guys. And Westendorf was like 11. And my immediate reaction was that that'd be pretty good. That assumes the defense holds up its end of the bargain here. But I went back and thought about it a little bit. And, you know, everydayers will know I was pretty hard on Aaron Rodgers last year. <laughs> um, that's an understatement. But he, he uh, look, I'm consistent on this. He was just not good last year. And... I checked out, they won, they lost nine games. In four of those losses, they were either leading or net even at halftime. In fact, in those four games that they lost where they were either tied or leading at halftime, they had an aggregate lead of 17. So in four games, okay, so we're talking about 
you know, a four-ish point lead. We're talking about more than a field goal average lead. They lost those games. Two of them were at home. One was to Zach Wilson and the Jets. And one was week 18 to the Lions. They also lost the Giants game that they were up 10 points on a neutral field. So three of the four games were either neutral field or home. And in three of those four, you feel like you have to win those. Like Sean McVay was like 150 and 0 when leading at halftime. Just period. So part of this is coaching, but also the offense and defense did not play good situational football in second halves. And the offense in particular against the Giants, against the Commanders, against the Lions, couldn't do anything in the second half. So, okay. Those three games, those two home games and the the neutral site game, just flip those. What is the record? It's 11 wins. They go from 8 to 11. If they win the games that they're leading at halftime at home or on a neutral field, that's it. And they should have beat the Commanders with a backup quarterback on the road. But on the road, like what does that mean? That, that stadium was half Packer fans. If you get good Jordan Love, and I think this is, this is an important thing for us to establish too. It's not good for the guy that comes Aaron after Aaron Rodgers. It's not good for a guy in his first year as a starter. No. Good for Jordan Love. And this is where things like ceiling when it comes to prospects matter so much. Good for Jordan Love is really good. Like his high-end outcome is a top five quarterback in the league. Now that's that's like, you know, 99th percentile outcome. But... I think you can look at some other quarterbacks who've been taken highly in drafts the last few years, even without mentioning the guy who plays uh, down I-43. Mac Jones, is is it in there for him to ever be a top five quarterback? Probably not. So that, uh, that high-end upside is there. And so when you start to see the flashes... When you start to see the potential, and and now we're getting some of the consistency as well, where he's stringing together quality practices. Now, again, we're talking about practice, not a game. We're talking about practice. But that does make you think, okay, what if this is real? And remember, training camp matters. It's not real yet. What if it becomes real? And he is a good quarterback this year. Well, good. Let's just say average. That's an improvement over what you got last year from Aaron Rodgers. I've said this a million times over the last six months. Getting average to slightly above average quarterback play would be a better outcome than what they got last year. For whatever excuses you want to make and and make them if you feel like you need to make them. But the quarterback play was subpar last year. And sure, there are reasons for that that go beyond, you know, Aaron Rodgers. Rookie receivers and offensive line shuffling and that stuff. And I I was critical of Matt LaFleur at times too, going, hey man, this is your team. So if you think the thing that you're doing with Aaron Rodgers because you're acquiescing to Aaron Rodgers is not the best thing, 
at some point you need to be in control of the ship. Now, I totally also understand Matt LaFleur's perspective going, well, the best thing is for Aaron Rodgers to be bought into what we're doing, which means I have to do this push-pull. That's not there anymore. Jordan Love, in a conversation with our pal Stacey Dales on NFL Network, was asked about the line of scrimmage stuff. How much is he going to be freewheeling and dealing? And he said, look, we've got cans built in. That's, that's in the offense. You have a play, you can kill it to the other play. That's what Stafford got to do. That's what Matt Ryan got to do when he was MVP, when Stafford won the Super Bowl, when Jimmy Garoppolo went to the Super Bowl, went to another NFC Championship game. They're not, they're not doing all of the stuff at the line of scrimmage, and they don't have to. Times, over, you know, over the course of Tom Brady's career, most of Tom Brady's career, in fact, he's running the play or the kill off the play. You can play winning offense like that. What Aaron Rodgers did is unique to Aaron Rodgers. Most offenses don't function that way anymore. Patrick Mahomes isn't doing that. Justin Herbert and Josh Allen and Joe Burrow, they're not doing that. Doesn't mean they couldn't. They're just not. Like this idea, oh, it worked for Aaron Rodgers and he was the MVP in those years. Yeah, that's that's great. It's not necessary. And in fact, in order to be really good at it, you have to be extremely, extremely high level football wise. And it just is not going to be there for a first year starter. Maybe eventually they expand his menu at the line of scrimmage and he, he can already make adjustments. He can already set protections. That was something Matt LaFleur talked about. But there's uh, there's so much value that we don't really discuss much in allowing a play caller to cook. Because so much of this stuff is, I'm calling this play to set up the next play. We've talked about this on the show. I don't know if it's quite ad nauseum, but we've talked about it plenty. And now Matt LaFleur is actually going to get the opportunity to say, okay, this is the play we're going to run. I want to see how they react to it. Because then I have this thing coming later that I want to call. And he's not going to say that in the headset because it's already a 30 second, you know, description of the play because you have to get all of the different formation calls and all that. It's just these, these Shanahan tree offenses, the plays are like, it's like a, it's like a, a physics test. It's crazy how much verbiage is, is in these calls. You don't really have time to say, Hey, by the way, we're running this to get to something else. And presumably, you know, that when you do the game plan stuff, because you put in your play off the play, your double moves, those kinds of things where it's like, okay, we know if they're going to play us this way, we've got this in the play call. And so we've got this to come back to later. But in the moment when your quarterback wants to get to the perfect play and goes, yeah, this play's not going to work. We got to get to something else. Well, but no, this play is might not be designed to work. What's really designed to work is the next play. And if you think you have the perfect answer sometimes, and this is something Dusty Evely and I have talked about, is you let great be the enemy of the good. And in an effort to get to the perfect play, you scuttle the chance to have even just a fine play. And so I, I, I am a firm believer in Matt LaFleur and have been for a long time. His ability to design plays and call plays, you go back to his Titans tape. There's some really interesting stuff in there. And it's the stuff that really sticks, sticks out to me is always the play off the play. He had a play against the Patriots, and his, th th this game was his coup de grace. Interestingly, both Mike McCarthy and Matt LaFleur's best called games, in my opinion, have been against the Patriots, or had been at the time. Now I think the Seattle game is probably 
Matt LaFleur's best called game, the Rams game in the playoff is up there too. Um, the Rams game in the regular season also up there. But he knew that the Patriots would have a certain concept that they run a lot scouted. And this backside inbreaker, they like to throw. I think it was Stephon Gilmore, if my memory serves correctly, takes the bait on the inbreaker and it becomes a, a double move for a touchdown. It's not even something that they ran that much, but Matt LaFleur knew Bill Belichick would be ready for it. And so he had the play off the play. Those are things that we're going to see more, I think, this year. And again, if Jordan Love is good, this team is going to be good. I'm telling you, this team is going to be good. If Jordan Love is good. I think they can be good if Jordan Love is, you know, sort of palms up emoji guy. If he's like the 18th best quarterback, I still think they can win nine games because I think the running game can be good enough. I think, you know, Christian Watson and Luke Musgrave and some of the talent on this offense is is there. And I think the talent of this defense, they still have the talent to be a top 10 defense. Um, I'm, I'm going to back off top five, although I said that last year. That was when I thought Darnell Savage could, could keep getting better. It was when I thought Adrian Amos was going to play at a higher level. That's not happening now. And now the safety position is worth but so top 10, like this front and this corner room, they got top 10 defense potential. Let's see what they can do here. All right, we're going to talk about who benefits from the pads coming on as they do today. We'll do that in a second here on Locked on Packers. Take your first swing at betting Major League Baseball on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet in bonus bets up to $200. That's right, just bet $20. And you'll land 200 in bonus bets, win or lose. Great time to go hit up the futures market. We've had trades, wheeling a deal, and the Rangers go out and get Max Scherzer. Maybe maybe actually now is a good time to fade the public on the Mets and see if they, they can just get their talent together. I don't know. Seems like a fun thing to do. And that's what a bonus bet is for. Because it's you, you put in 20 bucks, win or lose, you're going to get those bonus bets. So put the money in, see what happens. Maybe you hit. And you can do this all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. Boom. There's no better place to bet on Major League Baseball than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. And thanks for making Locked On Packers your first listen every day. Every dayers tomorrow on the show, we will get through the first padded practice of training camp storylines, all of the juicy details as we move forward through camp, as we get up to family night this weekend. And we're gonna go live. We're gonna go live, baby, after family night. A bonus locked on Packers coming up later in the week. So I was thinking about this. We wrote about this in our newsletter, The Leap. A newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. And I, we were talking about the guys who benefit most from the pads coming on. To me, it is almost always young players. And the guy for me that I, that I am just going to be thrilled to see out there when we get family night, when we get actual, we get joint practice stuff reporting around that, we get the preseason. I don't know how much he's even going to play in the preseason is Lucas Venas. 
because he got the opportunity to run with the ones and is all of a sudden making plays. And that is not a surprise. He's extremely, extremely talented. But let's see now when you have the sort of game that he does where you're talking about this power, this speed to power, and he is a power player. That's mostly going to come up with the pads on. We're going to get one-on-ones in pads. Hell yeah. We're going to get these line drills where it's half lines. And I want to see him wrecking shop going in there, making plays in the run game, which we've seen him do in team already. But we're talking about shells. It's a different beast. We've, we've seen, and I want to extend this beyond Lucas Van Ness. It's really this whole rookie class because Carl Brooks, Kobe Wooden, Jaden Reed, they've all flashed. But how do they look when the pads come on? How do they look when you actually have to go beat your guy with physicality, not just quickness? Can you do both? When they can be physical with you, when they can grab your pads in a way that they couldn't just grab your jersey, because that is what an offensive lineman is going to do. Does this defensive front still look as juiced up as it did before we got a chance to put the pads on? Devontae Wyatt's making plays. Does that continue? TJ Slayton's making plays. Does that continue? This run defense looks renewed. Quay Walker flying around. The defensive front flying around. Does that keep going when guys can actually block? Like actually block. What does that look like? Jaden Reed is another one where, you know, the pads aren't going to make it so different. But we're going to get one-on-ones. We're going to get more seven-on-seven in pads. A little bit more pressure at the line of scrimmage, maybe. Let's see what that looks like. Let's see what he is able to do in those situations. That's really, really valuable. And then two other guys. And, And it's more, it's not even really pad specific. It's more just that as we get through training camp, they're going to they're going to be given chances. And when the pads come on, they're going to be given chances to make plays, to bounce off tacklers, these kinds of things. It's Keyshawn Nixon and Tyler Goodson on offense. Yes, I said Keyshawn Nixon. He was on Saturday straight up doing receiver drills. They already have Tyler Goodson doing some Tyler Irvin stuff. And in fact, Matt LaFleur was asked specifically to compare Tyler Goodson to, to Tyler Irvin. So those guys are going to get chances to make some plays with the ball in their hands. Can they do it? Can they make the most of those opportunities? Can they take those chances given to them and say, I'm ready to go and and do the proverbial put me in coach. You got to play your way onto the field. You got to prove it. So if you're going to get this opportunity, you have to seize that. You have to go take that opportunity because it's not like. There's a lot of other guys on this roster that that fit that mold. Jaden Reed is going to be a jet guy. We know that. But if you want to go 11 personnel or you want to go 21 and put put a weird guy in there, you want to go 21 and put Tyler Goodson in the slot. You want to go 11 and put Tyler Goodson as the lone running back in the slot. You want to go 11 and have Keyshawn Nixon as a receiver, as a jet gadget guy. Now, Now we're talking about some real fun. Now we're really getting crazy. And we've already seen it in fits and starts here. I mean, maybe you saw the video of the, the Jaden Reed end around that where he doesn't get touched for 15 yards down the field. That's a chunk play waiting to happen. Okay, what if it's now? What if that's Keyshawn Nixon? 
What if Tyler Goodson is running a little, you know, it's a mesh crosser. You just throw him the ball in space. Let him go cook. There's going to be things in this offense we had not seen before. And I, I love Jordan Love. He was asked about this in that same conversation with Stacey Dales about what's going to look different. And Jordan was basically like, I'm a different quarterback, but it's going to be the same place. And, you know, he can't give up too much. He's not going to give up state secrets, but there's stuff in this offense that they just didn't call very often. Or they didn't call the variation very often. Or they didn't run from these different personnel groupings very often because Rodgers wanted to play static. He wanted to play 11 personnel. He wanted maybe 12 personnel if you're lucky. It's just a different situation to walk into. And so now I just want to see how that progresses. I want to see what that looks like when they get real opportunities. Do they, do they show it in family night? Do they show it in joint practices? Do they show it in the preseason? It's not a pad specific thing, but it's more a, this is the next iteration of what they're going to do. So what does it look like? How does it go? And, and that's the other question. How does it go? Does it work? Because then let's really have some fun. Let's get all the craziness. Let's take that Tyler Irvin package from Seattle. That playoff game. I loved that package for Tyler Irvin. Let's give it to Keyshawn Nixon. Let's give it to Tyler Goodson. Those guys, I think, are more dynamic with the balls in their hands than, than Tyler Irvin was. It just gets me really excited about all the different things they can do. Can you tell? Can you tell I'm excited? Can you tell I'm juiced up for this? Can you tell I'm so pumped football's back? You know, we've got, we've got idiots on the internet talking about, oh, Christian Watson is just Russell Gage, which... My God, if there's if there's ever been a better example of just telling on yourself that you don't know anything about football, that is about as good as an example that you're going to find. But that's that's like the conversation being had right now. Please. Can we start playing? Can we, can we put the pads on? OK, great. Great. Let's go. Let's go. Let's have some fun. We're going to finish up here in just a set talking about. The way that I think the Packers are going to play this year. And they've, they've tipped it off here. We're going to talk about that in just a second here on Locked on Packers. And thanks for making Locked on Packers your first listen every day. Everydayers, please go check out The Leap, a newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. We have our free Monday newsletter up right now. We're going to have Wednesday and Friday content. And then who knows, maybe we'll ramp it up a little bit as we get into the nitty gritty of training camp, as we get into preseason games. We'll certainly be writing off preseason games, all that fun stuff. And then go check out Locked On Sports today. It's all the biggest stories in sports in 20 minutes, wherever you get podcasts. I want to finish up with this because it stood out to me last week. You know, I'm trying to pick up tells, things that we can, just little nuggets, just like, oh, so-and-so is running with the second team. Oh, so-and-so has changed positions. Oh, they're being used in this other kind of way than they were before. Those sorts of things that I can flag so that when we get to the regular season, you guys are like, yeah, I already knew that. I, yeah, we knew that they were going to do that. We've been talking about it for weeks on Lockdown Packers. Of course, where have you been? One of those things is Josiah DeGuara. In essentially every practice, he has opened with the starters and not, importantly, as the solo tight end. So even though he is the most tenured tight end by far, in fact, is the most tenured 
player on offense that is primarily a pass catcher, I think we have to say, is he primarily a pass catcher? It was Luke Musgrave and Josiah DeGuara every day until it was Luke Musgrave and Tucker Craft. Whether you want to call that 12 personnel with Josiah DeGuara or 21 with Josiah and Aaron Jones, Josiah DeGuara, of course, would be a running back in that case. Is he a fullback? Is he an H-back? What do you call it if he's truly an H? We don't have to get into the semantics and the pedantics. It doesn't matter. It is heavy personnel any way you slice it. That is interesting in and of itself. Because I think it means that they want to dictate terms to offenses in a different, or defenses, excuse me, in a different kind of way. And it doesn't mean, and this is important, and I've, I've heard this from, from people that I think are smart generally, that, oh, the Packers are going to run the ball, they're going to lean on the run game. They're, they're not going to do that. They're not. They're not going to become some 60-40 run-pass team in 2023. It's just not going to happen. But what they can do is change the way they attack matchups. And so let me give you a great example. Now, this is not uh, 21 or 12 personnel. This is not heavy personnel. But it is a great example of how you can manipulate matchups using running backs and tight ends. Last week, in practice, Jaden Reed caught a touchdown pass from Jordan Love, okay? And they were in, I believe it was, if memory serves, 11 personnel. So three receivers, one tight end, one running back. But empty. Jordan Love alone in the backfield. And rather than have, you know, the tight end in line, in the slot, or the running back in the slot, or of course, the running back could be in the backfield where running backs tend to be, they put Aaron Jones split wide to the left and Luke Musgrave split wide to the right. Both guys, in each case, the furthest from the line of scrimmage. If you're picturing this, what you you should be seeing is guys that don't normally line up there lining up against corners. So against cover three, cover four, cover two, against these zone defenses, you now have big personnel occupying space now not because it's not man to man right but you have occupying space where you have pure cover corners and that means necessarily those corners aren't on the receivers because in this case you've got two corners even if you're a nickel now you have three receivers who are being covered by one corner and guess what the Packers got Devondre Campbell in a position where he had to carry the seam against Jaden Reed. Jaden Reed runs a little bender and Love fits the ball in before the safety can come over. That's dictating matchup. Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Patrick Mahomes, or excuse me, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes. They are experts at manipulating defenses. If you want to make this a Joe Barry joke, fine, I get it. But this is the world now that we live in with these two high coverages with quarters, the Fangio scheme, all that stuff. Now, even in the match quarters world, you still are, are playing in a lot of these space and drop coverages. So how can you use that to your advantage? Sean McVay is an expert at manipulating coverage to get 
receivers matched up against non-corners, safeties, linebackers. And if you're Kyle Shanahan, you don't really have to worry as much about doing that because you have George Kittle and George Kittle against anyone is a mismatch. He has Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey against anyone is a mismatch. Debo Samuel can play anywhere on the line of scrimmage or in the backfield and be a mismatch. Put him in the backfield and make a safety or a linebacker cover him. You're in hell now defensively. It doesn't matter who your defensive coordinator is. And so the Packers can now do this in a different kind of way. They can attack defenses rather than react to what a defense is doing. And, and not to say that that's not what they were always doing, but it's a different approach. Now, the Packers played among the most 12 personnel in the league last year. When that means Big Bob Tunyon and Mercedes Lewis, it's a different vibe. Now, Mercedes Lewis, one of the best blockers in the league at the tight end position, one of the best blocking tight ends of the modern era. But Tunyon was, was doing nothing last year, not getting open on his own, not winning individually. You have a guy in Luke Musgrave you hope can do that for whatever blocking struggles that you have. And he gave some really great quotes last week about understanding, look, it's not just about athleticism at this level. It's so much about technique and, and you, you can get away with just being fast enough to get in the way of guys in college in the NFL. You, you have to do more than that. Everyone's bigger, stronger, faster, all that stuff. And so he understands blocking is going to be a critical thing for him. But that's why you have Josiah DeGuar because he can block. You can line him up as a wing. You can line him up anywhere. And, and this is why this is interesting to me Matt LaFleur was asked about Josiah and said, you know, we can line him up in the backfield. We can line him up on the wing. We can line him up. We can split him out wide. And I just thought, okay, you know what he didn't say? In line. Where a tight end plays. He didn't say that. Josiah DeGuar is not a tight end. But based on the first week of training camp, he is a starter because this team wants to play from these bigger personnel groupings. What that doesn't mean, though, is that they're going to play heavy, old school, grinded out power football. I think there will be times, of course, when they do that. But this is a team much better set up to play spread, to split out Luke Musgrave and use him as a move tight end, to use Josiah DeGuara on the move in space as a blocker rather than let's like go I formation and come downhill and run power run leads and stuff like that like that I, I don't there will be some of that I'm sure and we saw them last year run these these counters and some of the pin pull stuff and some really interesting run concepts if teams are going to play too high you have to find ways to punish them on the ground I think a a situation like this where you have two players who are big bodies now you're dictating terms to the defense. Okay, you feel like you have to play in your base personnel. But if you stick in those two high looks, you're opportune now to run against those looks. And although neither Josiah DeGuara and Luke Musgrave is the blocker that Mercedes Lewis was, I think DeGuara is good enough and Luke Musgrave has the potential to be good enough that they can make the run game part of that work. And those two combined are so much more combined, so much more explosive and dynamic as receivers that I think it offsets whatever you lose in the run game. It's okay 
to lose something in the run game in those situations. I think Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, those guys are good enough to make up for it. And the rest of this offensive line, really, really good. And so then it's on your quarterback to dial up the right plays in the right situation. It's on your coach to do the same. All right, back tomorrow. A lot more here on Locked on Packers. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And anytime you want to come hang out with us, like we're going to go live on Saturday. We're going to go live after family night, baby. We're doing that so you can say Locked on Packers. 